We're starting a new series today. Uh, the series is called Be Still, uh, and it actually comes from a psalm as we're going to look at it. But we, what we really wanted to do with the series was just kind of take the beginning of, uh, you know, end of school, beginning of vacation, busy summer seasons. And, um, and I don't know about you, but I think busyness, you know, kind of hits all of us by default. Uh, most of the time, and, and stillness doesn't. And so this idea of being still, and as we're going to look at Scripture, the idea of taking a real rest or experiencing a real rest physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, that God can provide really does, uh, really is not, it's a challenge. And most people don't ever usually experience it, even though they think they're resting. They're not really getting and receiving rest. But stillness, uh, one thing that I realize is that stillness, the concept anyway, uh, looks very different for everybody. And as a matter of fact, I was, just, I was thinking about it selfishly, like even in the Dawson home, I'm going to give you a quick window into the Dawson home um, as to how stillness looks very different even for uh, my wife and I. Tracy was leading worship up here, uh, beautiful blonde on the, on the stage. That's my beautiful bride. Um, and, that's, and stillness looks very different for us. Let me just give you a quick example. So I, I don't know if you could tell, but I enjoy being physically still. Okay, so I have no trouble with that right? My favorite chair is a recliner. Everybody with me? Yeah, yeah. Recliner or at least an ottoman of some sort, okay? I'll, I'll grab two chairs and make an ottoman if I need to, right? That's, that's my idea of stillness is physically still. But what's funny is it doesn't matter if I'm physically still. Uh, what oftentimes I don't necessarily receive rest in or stillness is, is in my mind. Um, even when I'm going to bed at night, I have a very difficult time. My mind's kind of always going, constantly turning. Even if I'm doing things that are considered recreational or, you know, on my kayak or, you know, doing stuff in the yard or golfing or things like that, like even if I'm not doing anything work-wise, uh, I have made it a habit on my phone uh, to have to stop and take notes. You know, the ideas will come or thoughts will come or reminders will come and I'll need to kind of get it out because my brain's just kind of feels like it's always going. Uh, and then when I feel the most depleted is usually not physically, it is, but it's usually when I just can't think anymore, like my brain's just done, stick a fork in me, I'm done. Um, but I already, you know, like I said, physically I can, I really appreciate stillness, uh, but I struggle with it in terms of my mind. Now my wife, on the other hand, uh, she's always going, okay, always going. And when I mean always going, we're talking energizer, bunny, going, all right? Now, we're not just talking about work because nobody works harder than my wife, all right? Whether she's working at her job or she's working at home, she's working with our family, she's working with the, keeping the house organized and doing all the things she does. I mean, she's always kind of going, not just with working, but she's kind of, her mind and her body are always kind of going. And then what's interesting is that my wife rests, the way my wife rests or experiences stillness is the most active thing you've ever seen, all right? All right, because my wife is a rocker, all right, I don't know if you guys knew this, like, like not a rocker, but like a, a rocker, you know what I'm saying? Like she, she could rock the springs out of a, you know, out of a chair. Like she really could. She, she just, but, but it's interesting again, even though people have been in my house and seen my wife relaxing and it looks exhausting to them, she actually, it's actually something that stills her mind. It's actually something that brings her stillness, if that makes any sense. So it's one of those things where it's like for her to experience some form of rest or stillness, it looks really active physically. And then again, she's the same way as me. Like once you sort of get to that overwhelmed, busy, sort of depleted, you know, place, it looks the same as her and me. It's just, you just collapse, right? Physically and mentally, you're just done. 
Um, and so it can look, the I, I, reason I want to bring that up for our example is that it can look very different from what your idea of stillness versus busyness versus how you rest. It can look very different for everybody, but we're going to look at the Word of God and we're going to look at what God calls us to in terms of choosing stillness over the default of busyness in our life. And it comes from this, uh, this theme verse. This is our theme verse for the series. It's a psalm in Psalm 46. It's a psalm about God doing incredible things for his people. It's a psalm about him being a fortress and a, and a, and a, and a tower for them and swooping in and you know, fighting their battles and providing for them. Uh, and then he gets to verse 10 and it says, he's, the call is to the people of God to be still, to, to enter this stillness and yet know that I am God. The whole verse actually says, I will be honored by every nation and I will be honored throughout the world. I think that's a way of saying to the psalmist is kind of saying, God's got that part covered. Like he's going, it's going to happen, believe it or not, because he's God. He's going to be honored by every nation. He's going to be honored throughout the world. But for the people of God, there is a choice, as we're going to see soon, to be still. To actually enter something called stillness and actually enter something that consider, that we consider rest. Uh, I love some of the other uh, versions of this. Uh, the NASB says, cease striving and know that I am God. I just love that, that, that phrasing, cease striving. Cease trying to get the ball one more thing down the road. Like, cease that activity. Step out, this is the message paraphrase. Step out of traffic. <laughs> Take a long, loving look at me, which I love that, that no part. Long, loving look at me. Passion Translation actually says, surrender your anxiety, be still and realize that I'm God. Like there's, there's an understanding that can come when you surrender that anxiety, when you surrender that busyness uh, to him. And again, no matter how you look at it, this series is going to be about the, the default that we all have to busyness over stillness, right? Busyness over stillness. Why? Because busyness, okay, busyness is the default pace for everyone. Busyness is sort of a default pace for our culture. And so sometimes you might feel a little bit overwhelmed, but by contrast, it doesn't really matter because when you look around, that's the same way everybody else looks, right? So it doesn't really, like there's really no difference because that's how everyone else seems to look in this world as well. And it doesn't matter how you approach it, just understand this, busyness can happen from either direction. Either you have too many things to get done in the time that you have, or you just simply don't have enough time to get things done. Everybody with me on that? So it doesn't matter which direction you come. Either you have too many things on your plate for the time you have you know, at your disposal, or you just don't have enough time for the things you have on your plate. It's very difficult, like I said, to keep pace with this culture. So when I was doing this little study on why, what's, what's, what's the why behind the busyness in our life and in our culture. I found this Christian physician. His name is Richard Swenson, and he wrote a book called Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves to Overloaded Lives. And his, his focus was mental, physical, emotional, everything. But as a physician, 
He actually puts this into, he, this was a study done, and he says, a person can actually do physical labor 12 hours a day, six days a week for their entire life, and not suffer any ill effects. Why? Because he basically said, physically, you're far more capable than you could possibly imagine. You're far more capable than you think you are in terms of physically actively doing. And he goes on to say, you might actually benefit from that physically because of the health that you would experience. But, but... If the strain is mental, all right, that means if, if there's something tied to that strain is mental, as is the case with most jobs and most of us, the negative impact on the body can be huge, right? The negative impact on the body can be huge. One study in there talks about the fact that <laughs> he says when they've tried to measure things, commuters, everybody paying attention who drives to Charlotte every day? All right. Commuters experience sometimes greater levels of stress than fighter pilots and riot police, right? That's not just road rage, people. That's, that's true stress. Why? Because of the mental strain attached to our busyness. Okay. That's what's, that's what's key here. I want everybody to see that. The mental strain attached to our busyness. Physically, we could do far more than we could imagine. But the mental strain is what really comes into place when we're living these marginless lives. And, and so he addresses this idea of margin, which is a financial term. The term uh, margin, uh, when he talks about it from the standpoint of, of us in terms of time, is the space between our load and our limits. So when he talks about this idea of margin, he's talking about the fact that you, there needs to be, let me put it that way, there needs to be space between your loads and your limits, Right? And what happens when you live marginless lives? Well, you have too much load for your limit. Or your limit simply can't handle the load you're putting on it. That's what this marginless living sort of identifies. But living with margin is planning for what is unplannable. Everybody with me? To try to live with margin is to plan on something that you simply cannot plan which is to have space, it almost makes no sense to us to create space for space to be filled up because something's going to happen but to plan for what's on a plan. And yet, it's really interesting. I love this. This is actually a quote from a local pastor and author named Kevin DeYoung. This is from his book called Crazy Busy. It says, we don't expect to be able to buy anything we want because we know there is a limit to our money, but somehow we live as if time knew no bounds. When in fact, time is much more limited than money. Wealth can be created, but no one has the ability to grow more time. Isn't that crazy? Almost all of us get it when it comes to money because we, we, we immediately have these limits in our head of what we think we can afford or can't afford or whatever the case is, but then we live and burn at such a rate sometimes that we think time is limitless, and then we crash and burn and to get depleted because we realize time is the actual limited fixed thing in our life. The spiritual implication is here as well. This is from Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal, he's a philosopher. Uh, busyness sends more people to hell than unbelief. Why did he say that? <laughs> because he knew that the reality is, is that most people are far too busy to concern themselves with eternal things. They're far too busy in the moment or in the temporary future, to busy themselves with the, with the eternal. C.S. Lewis was quoted oftentimes as talking about uh, the, the enemy's tactics, okay, he's talking about the devil, talking about the enemy. He's like, the enemy's primary tactics is, one, to try to convince you that he doesn't exist, 
and to two, distract you from the very existence of God. Everybody with me? So that's his primary tactics, is to convince you that he doesn't exist, but then to busy you or distract you enough that you ignore the very existence of God. And this is what happens when we have this default busyness in our life. And again, I don't think necessarily we're, quote unquote, choosing it, but by default, we lean into it. All of us do, just because of our culture. So I want to uh, look at this verse. This is actually from Luke 10. We're going to read it together. Um, you can turn it in your Bibles or turn into your, uh, your app. This is a passage that gets kind of preached a lot when it comes to kind of the application, if you will, of busyness versus stillness. And, and I just want you to know, I, I really do think there's something important to learn from this. It's not often what's usually pulled out uh, from this particular story. Okay, if you've heard this story before, uh, we're going to take it a little bit of a different direction. But here's where we're going to start in verse 38 of chapter 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Most of the time, again, we read this and people will vilify Martha, right? The, the host, the busybody, the, the one trying to get things done and kind of hold up or amplify Mary sitting on her tush listening to Jesus, right? Like we'll, we'll, we'll try to do that sometimes. And that's not, I'll be honest, that's not the real takeaway from the story. I don't think that's why Luke records this for us is to try to vilify one and lift up the other in terms of their actions. It has everything to do with that phrase that says, Mary has discovered something. Mary has discovered something. Martha, he said, Martha, you're worried about all the details. And you know, I, I know a lot of you in this room, a lot of you in this room, if I were to say the same thing to you, you'd be like, yeah, Matt, because somebody's got to worry about the details. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Somebody's got to worry about the details. But here's, I'm going to give you two reasons I think Jesus shared this, but then I want to kind of talk about that whole thing where Mary discovers something important. But here's two things that, that, we, that we, when we read the story, we do see that there's some parallels for us in terms of the way Martha's kind of approaching this time with Jesus that he kind of, kind of tears apart, or the, kind of, I would call them myths that he sort of busts, okay? And the first one that we fall for is that busyness equals faithfulness, right? The first one we tend to fall for is that, well, the busier we are to try to earn approval, and this could be anywhere. This could be you're earning approval from parents or work or jobs or siblings or, you know, things like that. You're going to be earning that approval uh, and earning it for yourself. The busier you are, the more faithful you feel or the more, more significance you feel in terms of your faithfulness. And it can be the same way with God, trying to earn God's approval, right? And, and ultimately, when you collapse depleted and exhausted and completely burnt up. It's almost like the, the idea is, well, look how faithful they were. They, they gave themselves as a completely burnt offering. Here they go, right? 
Like there's nothing of them left. And I've, I've even heard people, you know, talk about that in terms of as an ideal. But that doesn't make any sense when it comes to what Scripture says about the rest we receive from God. Or that, uh, that verse about being still. Everyone, you know, is tempted to trade the urgent for the things that matter most. And that's what we see here with Mary and Martha. Now, here's how Paul addresses the same thing to uh, the church in Ephesus. Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus about how they should live. And here's some of the advice he gives them. He says, be careful how you live and don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. You need to have wisdom, especially in the decisions you're making. And he goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of the time you have available in the time that's here. Don't act thoughtlessly. Don't just waste it, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And I really think this is a question that we can see in this, the story of Mary and Martha, that, that it's not just what needs to get done, but what does God really want us to do? Those are two very different questions, which can honestly rate how busy we become or how busy we feel like God wants us to be for Him. So we can't just ask the question. It's not what needs to be done because, guys, we live in a world of needless, of, of, of unending needs. Does that make sense? Like We live in a world of, of it will be unsatisfied. There's always going to be a need that can be filled. The question that should come, which is where I believe Jesus was kind of saying, hey, Mary has discovered this in the moment. Not just what needs to get done. Dinner needs to get done, Okay. We're, we're going to eat dinner. Everybody's going to eat dinner. It could be peanut butter and jelly. It could be soup. I don't know. We're all going to eventually eat. But what she realizes in the moment is what does God really want her to do right now? Everybody with me? That's, the, that's what she discovers in the moment, present in the moment. Not, not, not that God's grading us on stars and our faithfulness for how busy we're going to be. Because listen, Martha was already at dinner, Right? She was working and she was already at dinner. Everybody's going to show up. Everybody's going to judge me based on how I'm doing these things. Everybody's going to have opinions about what I should have served Jesus. And how dare you serve Jesus peanut butter and jelly? How dare you do, you know, like there's all, she was already there. But Martha was in the moment and she was asking that question, what does God want me to do? What is, what's, what matters right now? Another thing that it tends to, another myth that it tends to bust up is that busyness is equal to worth and value. A lot of this is true for a lot of us. Busyness, we tend to think the busier we are, the more indispensable we are, the more invaluable we are to others. Uh, maybe we're making up for something in our past. A lot of times that does happen, whether it's how you're trying to make up for a parent who didn't you know, give you approval or whatever the case is. There's busyness that drives us from the, the past that we, we really can't control anymore. Like it's, it's done, but it's, it's still a part of our, of our lives. Matter of fact, I love this. This is a quote from that study and from that book uh, by Kevin Young, but it's, it's in his book. He talked about this article written where it says, busyness serves as kind of an existential reassurance and a hedge against emptiness, right? Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy, completely booked, and in demand every hour, right? I mean, that's, that, there's no way that your life doesn't mean anything or have significance, 
Or, you know, if you're constantly fully booked and you're always doing something, man, we fall into this trap so often as individuals because we think the more we can stay at pace or the more we put on ourselves, the more valuable we become again to how others sees us. And, and we do this in terms of how we think God sees us. We do this with our families. This is a trap for families. The busier you are with activities, the busier you're doing, aka good parents, right? Like the, like the more we're doing, the less trouble they'll get in, you know, the less problems we experience, the less things we have to kind of work through, the busier we are. Here's another great psalm that I love, Psalm 127. This says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor over it in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay alert in vain. And he goes on to say that in vain, you get up early and you stay up late working hard to have enough food. Like you're burning the candle at both ends just to have enough. But he goes on to say, yes, but he gives such things to his loved ones even while they sleep. Another version says he gives to his beloved. Not only does he give to his beloved those things, he gives them rest in the midst of those things because he is the one who is ultimately providing. And yet so much of our drive, so much of our default busyness can sometimes come from this weird relationship in terms of how we think God views us and the value and worth we have for him. Now, this is me talking. This is just your pastor. This is a quote that I got years ago from a pastor named Craig Rochelle, and it's one that I have to go back to fairly often, okay? This is, this is a quote I go back to very often. The greatest enemy to the life you want might be the life you're living, all right? The greatest enemy to the life you want might actually be what you're currently doing. Why? Because you are experiencing all the, all the consequences of the decisions you've already made. So the life you're living now is because of the things you've already decided and the life you're experiencing. And so sometimes we have to, we have to take pause. Sometimes in the stillness, part of the stillness is to help us get to a place to understand that you know, sometimes the life I want, like, guys, we're all called to be followers of Jesus and to become more and more like Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing in us, to make us more and more like Jesus. But isn't it interesting that in all of the recorded four Gospels, Jesus never seemed to be rushed? Jesus never ran anywhere, right? We have, not, not listen, not everything was recorded, who knows? Maybe he was a phenomenal runner. He's the son of God. I don't know. Okay? But in the recorded Gospels, we don't seem to get this picture of Jesus frantically coming to the disciples and be like, guys, we were supposed to be in Capernaum an hour ago. Is everybody with me? And yet, we're called to be more like him. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus was able to accomplish all that he accomplished. He was able to have all those conversations, have all those miracles, do all those healings, fulfill 350 plus Old Testament you know, prophecies about him, and he never seemed to be rushed. He never seemed to be too busy. And yet we, we sometimes can't even find the time to do the things that we want to do that we think matter. Like the, the life we want, the one we want to do the things that matter most. We can't seem to find time for it. Why? Well, here's what came up in that little study in terms of just some examples of what's happening with us in terms of our perspective 
of busyness and rest. This is just a few examples in that study. This is, uh, this is my social media. You guys all, there you go. That's my Instagram, in case you want to follow me. There's uh, Netflix streaming, you know, whatever the case is, you've got something. And there's video games, not to single out, you know, the young folks, but video games is a big part of some of this study. Now, how many of you are on social media? Raise your hand. Almost everybody. Cool. What do you think the average amount of time per year? This was a study done, by the way, in 2020, prior to the pandemic, by the way. Prior to the minute, what do you think in terms of time, how much do you think someone averagely spends per year? Yeah, too much. There you go. Whatever you're thinking, you're wrong because it's 706 hours a year. And some of you that are younger are already above average. just want you to know that. You're above average. 706 hours a year. Just to give you a concept of time, if you were to break up like an eight-hour workday, like five days a week, eight hours a day, five days a week, that's four and a half months of time, of work. Okay, and I'm not saying you should get rid of your social media so you can work more. Just, everybody with me? Just in terms of time. Streaming, binge watching, catching up on your shows, watching your movies, doing anything. Yeah, over 2,700 hours a year. Choose your flavor, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, doesn't matter. That's the average. And video games, just to let you know, like, I, I'm, it's, I, the reason I want to bring this up, I thought the study was fascinating, because a lot of people my age and older who grew up in the not-so-driven video game culture, we don't get this. Like, I grew up between Commodore 64 and Nintendos, okay? So video games were not that impressive, to be honest. But everybody younger than me, who grew up with Sega and, you know, it got better and better and better. You know, there's a video game culture now that a lot of people, listen, the study says this, that right now, this is 2020, that most people will play up to 10,000 hours by the age of 21. They will log 10,000 hours in on average by the age of 21 in games. And, and, and this, is where, this is where we have to understand that we, we, we see this, we see the struggle, but that the reason we're not experiencing some of the things we were experiencing, the reason God's not doing the things in our life we wanted to see him do is because we can't even do the things that matter most because of what we're currently doing. Here's the, here's the, uh, the statement. The reason we might not have time for what matters most is because we are mindlessly wasting time on what doesn't matter. Now, here's the pushback I get, and that I have felt at times, okay? The pushback I get sometimes is like, well, Matt, I mean, you know, nothing, there's nothing, by the way, there's nothing wrong with social media or games or streaming things. Like, that's, that's, that's just our culture. But the pushback I get sometimes is like, well, Matt, you don't understand. Like, that is my downtime, right? Like, that is how I relax, you know? I get home, and it's been crazy, and we don't have something going on that night, and I just want to chill, and we just turn on the thing, and we, you know, I get it. I, I, I'm saying I get it. Like, I, I understand that. The pushback, though, and this is what's really incredible. This is something the culture has learned far faster than the church, is that most people, even though they're spending 2,700 hours streaming, don't feel any more rested. Even though they're spending 700 hours on social media, 
don't feel mentally or spiritually or, or emotionally recharged. They only feel more drained. So what is it? Why is it that most people think, well, this is how I relax. This is how I do get still. This is how I do do this. Well, it goes back to the true root cause of our busyness is our need for control. The root cause of why we busy ourselves the way we do is because we have this constant need for control. And guess what culture's figured out? I get to control all this I want to. I get to control what I watch next. Another episode? Sure, I'm in control. Another game? Does that make sense? The things that you and I fall for and that we've fallen for, that, you know, quote unquote, that is our downtime, that is our rest, that is our relaxation. Guys, it's not. It's not giving us the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about. It's not giving us the kind of stillness that we see in Scripture where we can be still and know God intimately. It is simply a way to distract us from the life we cannot control into something momentarily that we can control. Does that make sense? That, like, and here's the funny part. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that we were going to constantly be super hyper-focused on the life we can't control. Like That was going to be something that we were going to spend all of our time thinking about. Which is why Jesus continued to try to challenge us about where our priorities would lie. He does this in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this long, you know, we're going to read it real quick, but he gives this long definition of, hey, this is just the way life is, and I understand it, but it doesn't need to be this way for you. Here's how he says it. He says, why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. What's everyday life? Well, what you're going to have enough food you know, and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than that? Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in the barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable? See that word? It doesn't have anything to do with what you have, what you, how busy you are. Aren't you more valuable already to him than they are? Can all of your worries... Add a single moment to your life. This is Jesus saying, can you grow more time? No. Can your busyness and anxiety and worry grow more time? No. <laughs> he goes on to say, why would you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make, clo or make their clothing. It says, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. He says, if God cares so wonderfully about wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Why is there a trust issue here? Don't worry about these things. Everyday life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. We could go on with our list. How are we going to get there? How much is it going to be? What about inflation? Don't worry about these things, he says. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. This is Jesus saying, guys, those without Christ, those without God in their life, they don't get to choose stillness. They don't get to choose, like they're, they have no choice but to have these worries and anxieties and busyness 
dominate their life. But you have a heavenly father who already knows what you need. Keep going. Seek first the kingdom of God, or seek the kingdom of God above all else. Again, that's translations. It's still this point of priorities. Seek him above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today, today's trouble is enough for today. That's actually one of my favorite ways that Jesus kind of transitions into another part of his sermon. He tells us not to worry, and then he goes on to say, guess what? Oh, worry's coming. Mm Mm-hmm. Worries, oh, there's plenty to worry about. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today is all you need, and why would you worry about today when your Heavenly Father already knows all that you need? Why would, why would, you, why would you allow that to, to cause you to get all frantic and in a frenzy and have a mental strain? Like, what, what, where's that come from? Well, what I see in the story with um, Martha and Mary. What I see kind of leading us into the next couple weeks as we go through the series is the idea that what she discovered in that moment was that she needed to be present. That, that when we're talking about stillness, being still, there's something about being present in order to get to that place where we can ask God, what is it you want me to do? Not just what needs to get done, because we'll default to that all day long. But God, what do, you, what do you want me to do? What are you saying is most important? Right now, this is why Jesus said, hey, Mary discovered it, and it's not going to be taken away from her. It's not gonna, you can't, it doesn't matter what needs to be done. Dinner's coming. I understand. This gift is not going to be taken away from Mary because she discovered it because she was present. She was present in the moment. Sometimes when I, one of the passages that comes back to mind often for me, when I'm personally working through stillness, because just be honest, I don't do this well. I struggle just like everybody else in terms of getting my mind to stop running like a, like a hamster wheel, you know, uh, the hamster wheel, right? Like it, it, that's a struggle for me. So sometimes when I struggle with stillness, one of the verses that comes back to me is that when I can get present long enough in my current situation, I can actually reflect on things. I can actually reflect on how life is going and what's happening right now and, and what is it that God wants me to do because of what's happening right now. Now, I want to just warn you, this, this verse has its own context, okay? This, this set of verses has its own context, but I'll, I'll, you'll know why in a minute why I go back to this Old Testament verse and, you know, for, for a lot of things is because it just speaks volumes to me, all right? This is actually from Haggai. It says, this is what the Lord of the Heavens Army says. Look at what's happening to you. He wants them to look and be present and understand their current moment. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though, they were, as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Now just take that verse out. Doesn't this feel like anybody this year already? Okay, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, this one comes to mind all the time. Again, it has context, but it just rings true for me sometimes. Like, where am I at in my life and what's going on? So again, the prophet says, on behalf of God, this is what God says, look at what's happening to you. Consider where you are. 
And then he says, go up to the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Keep going. You hoped for harvest, but they were poor. Rich harvest, but they were poor. When you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Why would God do that? Because my house lies in ruins, said the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your fine houses. Now, this is the context for this scripture. The context of why God was blowing away their harvest, their rich, their rich harvest, is because they were not doing what God told them to go do. Period. Right? I'll be honest with you. What comes back to me about this particular model, or at least the, this, this uh, thing I see in the, in the Haggai, is the fact that, listen, we can busy ourselves and busy ourselves and busy ourselves and continue to live these marginless lives, but I'll be honest, if you are not at any point asking what God wants you to do, God will interrupt your life at some point. Because you're not doing what he asks you to do. You're busy doing what you want to do. Now, I don't mean that negatively. It doesn't mean that somebody's going to die or you're going to get sick. And can't, I don't I mean that in the, the worst possible end. I'm just telling you, I don't want God to have to do that. I don't want God to have to derail everything. So I'll stop for a minute and go, what's going on? But he'll do it. He'll do it. Look at what's happening to you. This should always prompt the question. Look at what's happening. What does he want me to do right now? In order to choose stillness over busyness, we have to be present. In order to trust him, we have to surrender what's causing all of us to lean into this default of busyness to begin with. We have to trust him with our future. We have, to, we have to get over the past that's maybe causing us to kind of constantly drive for some sort of success or achievement factor that we've never, we're never going to be able to accomplish. And it keeps us from being present. It keeps us from saying, God, right here, right now, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in and through me? How can I live my life with some margins that when I pray that you do something in my life, there's room. There's room for you to do it. Here's the way Jesus says it again in Matthew. And I love the, I'll show you, I love the paraphrase version of this from Eugene Peterson. The actual version is, are you, are you worn out? Are you tired? Who needs a rest? Come all you weary and heavy laden. I can give you the rest you're looking for. But, but Eugene Peterson, his paraphrase from the original Greek and Hebrew, Hebrew and Matthew, his paraphrase just has some rich words for me. The way in which he says it is, are you tired and worn out and burned out on religion? Basically burned out on the, this idea of transactional living with God. Come to me, get away with me, and recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest real stillness. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. And then one of my favorite phrases, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Keep going. I won't lay anything uh, heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. Keep pace with me. 
and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. That's my prayer for you. My prayer for the series is that we will enter into this time of understanding stillness and saying, okay, God, teach me. I want to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I want to do what's necessary to choose stillness over busyness. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. What are the disciplines that God's given us to help us get into that rest? What are the disciplines that he's given us, like Sabbath, to enter into and experience the rest that God has for us? But there is something I want you to pray about today and think about this week as we go forward. Because I don't know where you, I don't know what drives the busyness in your life. I don't know where it lands for you, but here's, here's what I really do believe. I believe that the only way to be fully present is to surrender a past you can't change and to trust God with a future you can't control. You're, you're going to have to move past and experience some forgiveness of a past you can't change, of a parent who never gave you that thumbs up, of a, of a father figure or school system or the people in your life who said you couldn't do it or didn't think you could do it and you're out to prove them wrong. Like, I don't know what drives this in you, drives this busyness for you, but a lot of times it's our past. And you have to surrender that to God. Or it could be, like most of us, it's, it's, is it a trust for our future? Is it trusting Him to handle and navigate for us where we're going? In order to be fully present, we have, to, we have to work through that. So I want to pray through that this morning, and then I want you guys to be thinking about that this week as we get ready to talk about this more and, and try to, again, learn through the disciplines. How do we experience that stillness in knowing who God is? Let's pray together. Father God, I, again, I don't know for everybody in the room um, what might be the motivating factor behind uh, our busyness. I just know, God, that it's a default in our culture, and I know that oftentimes it's like Mary and Martha. We, we, we lean sometimes towards Martha. We're already living in the future. We're already working on the plans. We're already worried about how we look to others and how we look to you, and, and we struggle sometimes to be present in the moment. Far too often we ask what needs to get done and not what you want us to do. So God, I'm just praying today by your Holy Spirit that you would be doing a work in and through everyone here, everyone listening to this online and later, just, just lead us into the direction of where we need to give up control. Is it surrendering past issues that we can't change but yet are still such a driving force in our life? Maybe it's past sin. Maybe it's past mistakes we're trying to overcome when we, your blood and grace has already overcome it. Maybe it's trusting you for a future because we can't control it. We can't control the outcomes we, we so desperately want. But God, it's just, you've said, where is our faith? Because that is, the, the trusting in you is the faith of what we hope for and the confidence of what's unseen. God, just work in our hearts today. And as we go out of this place and we can see, you know, busyness of our life takes over, may this be a seed and a root in us that the Holy Spirit's doing a work 
and helping us this week even come to these opportunities where we can be present and choose to be still and know that you are God. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.